I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service at Ananda Village. I'm Naya Swami Parvati. This is Naya Swami, Swami Pranabha. And we're very happy to be with you today. And we'd like especially to welcome all of our guests and visitors. I'll be reading this morning from Rays of the One Light. These are commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda and based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Divine Ascension. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, we read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What is this I when spoken by a master who has conquered every vestige of ego consciousness? Therein lies the mystery of true scriptural teaching. That I that is no I, does it even exist? In what way is it different from the consciousness that animates other human beings? Jesus was not saying, look at me, don't look at other masters. He was saying rather, look at the divine self that is the essence of who you are, your very self. You are that I. No man cometh unto the divine consciousness except by first recognizing his own intrinsic divinity hidden behind his delusive ego. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, O son of Prita, Arjuna, in whatever way people accept me, in that same way do I appear to them. For all men in some way pursue the path to me. Meditate on the divine incarnations, their lives and the consciousness animating them will be your stairway to the infinite. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. This reading is taken from Paramahansa Yogananda's Book of Prayer Demands, Whispers from Eternity. Divine Mother, I heard thy voice in the speaking fragrance of the rose. I heard thy voice in the lisping whispers of my devotion. I heard thy voice beneath the din of my noisiest thoughts. It was thy love which broke through the voice of friendship. I touched thy tenderness in the softness of the lily. O Divine Mother, break through the dawn and show thy face of light. Break through the sun and show thy face of power. Break through the night and show thy mooned face. Break through my thoughts and show thy face of wisdom. Break through my feelings and show thy face of love. Break through my pride and show thy face of humbleness. Break through my wisdom and show thy face of perfection. 
as I call to thee in the wilderness of my loneliness, thou didst burst through the dawn to greet me with thy joy. Thou didst emerge from the molten door of the sun to invigorate me through the pores of my life. Thou didst tear away the night of my ignorance to reveal thy silver rays of speaking silence. As this body ages and my eyes age, I can't see what that clock says, so after a few hours, <laughs> if, if you need to let me know that time is up, uh, feel free to do so. Um, when I was a child growing up in Canada, and, and actually through my teenage years, I attended regularly, meaning pretty much weekly, uh, the Protestant church that my parents were a member of. So I went to Sunday school, I went to what was called confirmation classes and Sunday service all the time. And one of the things that was hovering, not so much overtly, was this verse from the Bible, the words of Jesus, that I am the way, the life, and the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And there was a part of me that probably paid attention to it, um, but I didn't really relate to it as being meaningful in my life. It was more that it was a way to confirm that we all needed to accept and believe Jesus Christ was our Savior. And I couldn't relate to that much either because I, I had a rebellionist to me and on the time, at the times when it was pressed on me, I tended to not be too courteous in response. But in my teenage years, I started to realize there was more out there. And I remember one time, I was probably around 16 years old, that on the streets of the city I lived in, that there were devotees of Krishna chanting the Maha Mantra, the Krishna chant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Now the scene itself was a little bit strange, that they were on the streets singing this, the Hare Krishna devotees, but some part of me resonated. It felt like this is something that I know. This is something that relates to also being the way, the life, and the truth. And I'm not sure I had all a conscious understanding in that way, but I knew as an experience this was real. Something was happening there. And I started to explore things on that level, the Eastern traditions more. And then when I was 18, I learned to meditate. Not in the tradition that we have from Paramahansa Yogananda, but then as I started to explore Yogananda's teachings, reading the Autobiography of Yogi when I was 19 and 20, then I started to appreciate, ah, there's a richness out there that's very real in terms of living a spiritual life that isn't confining, isn't restrictive. And I remember coming to Yogananda's understandings of some of the 
the more subtle points and sometimes the more obvious points of the scriptures, both from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. And when I read the comments on this verse from the Bible that we're using today, it was so different. It wasn't a restrictive dogma that was being emphasized, but an opening, expansive possibility. And that just really grabbed me, my heart, my mind. It just felt like, yes, this has to be what is really true for me. Not only for me, but has to be true for everyone in that way. That it's relating to not Jesus the man saying these words, but Jesus the Christ, that, that powerful consciousness of Christ consciousness. And then Yogananda's teachings went even further to emphasize that even in our spiritual anatomy, the chakras and our astral spine, that it relates to this verse in a very direct and practical way. That it's really saying that we need to have the magnetic energy inside brought up to the spiritual eye which is known as the seat of Christ consciousness, known in Sanskrit as the Kudasta Taitanya, the seat of Christ consciousness. And through that, we're able to open to the seventh chakra. So this is the positive side, the positive reflection of the sixth chakra in the Madala Bhangata. But by opening that, then we have this openness to the seventh chakra, the Hasashwa chakra, which is often referred to as a thousand petal lotus chakra. And that's where God the Father beyond all creation resides in cosmic consciousness. So that we're needing to be in that openness of Christ consciousness and more than opening to it, we need to be in the experience of Christ consciousness to allow that expansive, infinite consciousness of God the Father beyond creation. And there we have a practical way to apply a very esoteric teaching. It allows us to be real in our day-to-day -day lives, really making hay even when the sun isn't shining, that we, we can really just forge ahead with some steps for us. And so the world of meditation, of exploring our inner self, is really that adventure in this way. And Kriya Yoga being the deepest and most direct airplane route to that experience of opening to Christ consciousness. And we even have the spiritual eye, which is represented here and there, um, that it's an understanding of what we're able to open up to. But the spiritual eye isn't just a nice visual image, which of course it can be, but it's an experience. And so as we deepen our awareness, our concentration, most importantly, our receptivity and openness with devotion, then we start to feel there's a presence there. And often we'll see it here at the spiritual life, but it can be even a more deeper and more expanded experience than that but it opens up so there is that golden halo that happens. And maybe that's all people will feel 
and be aware of is a golden sense of light or a white light. Um, But as we again deepen our attunement with that awareness of opening up, then we start to see there's a blue plane of color in the middle of that halo. And then as we deepen that, it's no longer just a two-dimensional blue field. We start to feel as we go into Christ consciousness that we're going into a tunnel. It becomes that we're in that experience, not here, observing it. But we start to become that experience. And that's the Christ consciousness. And then as we go beyond that, just as I said before, that we open the experience of the spiritual eye, we come to God the Father beyond all creation, the five-pointed silvery star that's in the middle is in that cosmic consciousness. And again, it's no longer that we're observing, but we come into our oneness with that experience. And whether we have that experience or not, that is what is going to be happening for us even now. Because sometimes we don't have the perception, we don't have uh, the gift of that experience, but the experience is still happening. Because that is our true nature, that is our true home, that spiritual awakened consciousness. But because of our karma, of the layers of karma set in motion into this lifetime, the veils may be there preventing us from acknowledging and perceiving that as our experience. It's important to realize that experience is there for us. We shouldn't have a sense of anxiety that we're not seeing it, or the tension of, I need to see it, which I think most of us have had the experience of, that we're kind of, I need to see this. Why aren't I seeing this? What's, I'm sure everyone else in the room is seeing it all the time, but not me. And we have this tension there. But I remember one time we had a minister's meeting with Swami Kriyananda years ago at the Crystal Hermitage. And someone asked him the question about, Sir, I don't see the spiritual eye. What does that mean I'm not spiritually evolving? And should I be seeing it? And he said, not everyone will see it. And sometimes it may be at the very end of one's incarnation, one's lifetime, that that gift is given. But he said, rather than thinking you should be seeing it, have the openness that it is going to happen for you. Isn't that sweet? Rand saying, where is the spiritual life? Having the offering itself of saying, this is part of my reality, but my part is to offer myself completely into it, with the deepest concentration I can bring to it, with the deepest devotion I can bring to it, with the deepest receptivity that I can bring to it. And then the rest is up to God if that display, that perception becomes ours uh, at any point in this lifetime. Because we've done our part to be in the experience, whatever happens at that point. 
is up to the grace of God that we're ready to receive and become or integrate it with. But this idea that these teachings are not only inspiring, but they're practical. They bring the two together and have that integration. It's very, very important. And then the reading from the Bhagavad Gita today, it's again, one of those ones that's very reassuring. Because if you pay attention to the first part of that sloka, that verse from the Gita, it's saying basically that God, Krishna is saying, I will appear to my devotees as they approach me, as, as the form that they're attracted to me in. Well, by saying that, he's actually saying, I am appearing, I will appear. He's not saying, by the way, it might happen. I mean, it's something easy to overlook in the sloka, because you just read through it, but it's really a promise that's coming from the divine. I will appear in the form that you are offering yourself into. And then the final part of that sloka, that verse says, even those that don't think of me, I am with them. That's amazing. Because if someone can endeavor to offer themselves completely into whatever activity they're involved in, with purity, with sincerity, and a lack of attachment, even if it's a mundane outward activity, the divine will be there. So for everyone, there is great hope because the possibilities are always there, empowered by the divine. Our part, of course, is very, very critical to make this work because we need to turn towards that divine blessing. We need to embrace it. We need to let it come into our lives as a direct experience. And that's why meditation is so important for us, because it transcends the tendencies of the mind to think about things and brings us into the experience of what is real. And then that filters naturally into our conscious mind, into our thinking processes, into our intellectual understanding of the world around us. But without that, we're always tossed on the waves of duality. We don't have the, the calmness. And then what happens with the calmness is that, and we see this certainly in our times at present, those waves aren't just waves. They're 80-foot waves that are tossing us about on the ocean. I don't know if you saw that article a few weeks ago that, um, I forget where it was, uh, somewhere in Southern California, that there was an 80-foot wave that they were able to, um, on the buoys, uh, of gauge that, that depth. I don't know if you understand how, what an 80-foot wave would look like. You know, if you think of um, that, okay, there's six feet, and you're talking about, you know, 13 and a half times that up there. Well, that wave is simply a passing 
motion of energy. And if we can be focused enough and centered enough, life's challenges won't affect us that much because we're able to ride the wave. Now, I mean, I, I get pretty intimidated by a wave that's about three foot above me. And I know Baudry's here, and he probably thinks that's nothing, surfing it. <laughs> but, but when you're facing it, um, uh, it's still a major wave. But I remember uh, this past uh, fall, we were in Hawaii, and the weather wasn't conducive to a, a calm activity in the ocean. It was pretty embroiled, and, and at one point, instead of snorkeling, because it was just too wavy, I just wanted to be out in the water, and I was just playing with the waves and jumping over them, jumping into them. And I misgaged a wave. I thought, I can jump this. Well, it went over me, and it just pounded me onto my left hip and leg. And I knew when I got up that I wasn't going to walk real good for a while. <laughs> uh, but it turned out to be this beautiful, blossoming tattoo of a bruise. It was just a colorful bruise. And I thought, there's Divine Mother saying, you know, maybe next time pay more attention. You know, understand that the waves are always going to be there in life. But pay attention. Find the way that you're going to experience me in a deeper way. And sure, you learned a great lesson today. But take heed for that lesson and grow in that experience. Because if we can keep our hearts open, and our minds focus, the possibilities are vast. And those possibilities may not be the ones that our conscious mind will orient us towards, maybe to some degree. But if we go within, if we attune ourselves, we deepen our receptivity, dynamically be in the offering of ourselves, it's a joyful experience that is guaranteed. And God will come to us in that experience. That is the promise of this verse, this sloka of the Bhagavad Gita, that God will be there for us. As we come into this new year, let's really find ourselves always tuning in to a sense of refinement. I don't want to make this an assignment, but just keep in mind, how do I refine not only my outer life, but my inner life. How do I refine the way I think about those around me, even strangers? How do I refine my inner life, my devotion? It doesn't mean it takes a stronger form necessarily. It may do that. But how do I refine my devotion, my offering? How do I refine my meditation? How do I bring deepening sincerity and devotion in a refined way into my meditation. That's always the openness we have until we become enlightened and liberated. But in this moment, and in every moment, we can do that. So feel the refinement as a gift, as an invitation from the divine to live your life ever more fully. God bless you.
must the sky Nightly when starlight enfolds us Peace is its lullaby Strive, reconcile. 